Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on That Hockey Show, where the game is always on. Yes, the game is always on right here at THS. Welcome to That Hockey Show, ladies and gentlemen. Post-St. Patrick's Day, we all hope you had a great time yesterday on a holy day for Ireland. It is Friday, March 18th, so a Friday edition here of THS. We're running right up against the trade deadline, which is happening on Monday. Quite a few trades have already happened. We'll get into that today. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the TH board here on Long Island in New York. And joining me as always today will be our good friend, Mr. Steve Palumbo, down on the Gulf Coast. Gulf Coast, we'll talk some uh, some Avs and some Devils, too, and jump around the Western Conference. Uh, our good buddy, Joe Yurden, is going to take another week off here. Uh, he'll be back soon with us. So our uh, best wishes to Joey as uh, we look forward to him returning. But out of the gate, in the face-off circle, joining me again for the second time in a row here, we're going to head on out to Chicago and bring on our good friend, Mr. Tab Member. Tab, what's going on, buddy? How's everything? Welcome back to THS. Well, the river is and, uh, and that's about it here in Chicago. We're kind of sitting back, twiddling our thumbs to see what exactly the fire sale will hold. Uh, with the uh, with the team that plays uh, on West Madison here in Chicago, we'll see how much action there is with a first time GM trying to navigate the uh, the dirty waters of a trade deadline with a team that's got a whole bunch of pieces that could be very interesting for teams that are looking to to do some damage. You know, I saw you on Twitter there uh, last week. You know, you see Montreal making a couple moves here. Uh, the Panthers are making a move here. Uh, you know, even Calgary's. You know, throwing the line out, plucking a couple of guys here and there, and I just see you. You seem like you're just. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, Tabby. Do you do you want these guys to get traded? Are you are you looking for the for the whole you know complete you know break up here of what's left of the Hawks? Uh, let's get into it. We'll start with the Hawks right there. But is that what you want, or where where do you think this is going? I know we've been kind of talking in and out about this for the last month or two, uh, but just because of the way the Hawks has been. The season has been going and, and the future and everything else. But um, take us into the mind of Ted Bamford here. Uh, you know, you cover the Hawks all year long. What what do you want? Uh, that's a wonderful question. I, I believe um, there are really three schools of thought here uh, when you look at a trade deadline. Uh, let's go from the easiest to the lightest. Uh from a player perspective, and I think that this is most, uh, you know, directly tied to the conversations around Mark Andre Fleury, um, it's about the players being in a position to succeed. And you hate leaving a room if you've got a relationship with guys. Uh, sometimes you're not a big fan of the idea of having to listen to the rumors, see them on social media, uh, get the questions, and you know, have half of your bag packed the whole time for, you know, for some of these guys like Calvin DeHaan and Dylan Strom, pretty much the whole season you've been like, I'm not going to take the wrap off of that bag of tape because just leave it in the bag for when I go. Um, 
So it's tricky and tough on players to be involved in these conversations, and you kind of want it to be over with, one way or the other. From an organizational perspective, the, I think what's interesting here is that the Blackhawks' new GM, Kyle Davidson, has been pretty upfront that they are going back to the drawing board and now with a new-look front office with Norm McIver back in the mix and Brian Campbell uh, working very closely with them in a not-titled but quasi-official role. Um, they want to go back into a rebuild. So the Blackhawks told everybody, like the Rangers did a couple years ago, we're rebuilding, get, be patient. And I think that in any sport, you've seen it in baseball, you've seen it in uh, the NBA, when front offices are more transparent with what they're doing before they do it, it at least gives them a little bit of grace with the fan base to work with us. This is what, where we're going. So Stan Bowman said it, and then he got cap space for the first time in a dozen years and spent like a drunken sailor and went for it. Now we've found out since the spending spree over the summer that he's no longer in the job and questions can validly be asked. Did he go for it because he knew that his job was on the line, both because of them not being in the playoffs, and I'm not going to consider the bubble real playoffs, uh, you know, in five years, or was it because his job was on the line because of the sexual assault allegations and the role that he had in that? Um, lots of lots of layers there, but um, but he went for it and he signed a bunch of guys, and we've talked about it the whole year. The guys that he signed put an intriguing roster together, but it's a bunch of uh, puzzle pieces that don't fit. And that's why you see the Blackhawks where they are in the standings. So what do we have? We've got an organization that wants to build for the future. And we've got players that want some finality. And then you've got fans. And the fans want to win. I think fans want to see their team compete all the time, no matter what. But what does that mean? Now in Chicago... The Blackhawks were so bad for a decade that you kind of got the 3,500 people that would show up got used to the idea of the team sucking, and that's why there were only 3,500 people there. 5,000 if they were playing the Red Wings, and 2,500 were from Detroit. <laughs> so, <clears throat> which made for an awkward Detroit sucks. Haha, <laughs> you're wrong, chant back and forth. So, um, I think that again, with the transparency, I think the fans have an understanding. But there are still emotional ties to specific players, guys that you become attached to, guys that you watch over, over many years, over a short period of time. And so you, you, you've kind of got this friction between keeping because I like watching him play and we really need to get better. So how do you do that? The reality is that where the Blackhawks are at right now with their talent pipeline, as we've talked about all year, they've got about 75 defensemen. I wish that I was exaggerating with that number, <laughs> but it feels like they have 75 defensemen, and they just signed another one, uh, Alex Vlasic. If the last name sounds familiar and not because of Pickles, it's because his cousin is Mark Edward Vlasic from mm -hmm. uh, San Jose. So this is a six foot six defenseman who played three years at Boston University. Uh, Derek King, first thing he said after the kid's first practice was, man, it's nice having a defenseman who can actually complete a pass. <laughs> which may be tongue-in-cheek uh, and pumping the kids' tires a little bit, 
But at the same time, it's very real. The passing out of the back end has been atrocious all year for the Blackhawks. Outside of Seth Jones, who throws his fair share of grenades, um, the passing has been awful. And that's why a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury ends up fighting it so much. And certainly the other night against Boston, when he made, I think, 43 saves in regulation, something like that. You know, he's carried them to more wins than any other goaltender probably could have. Um so rock in a hard place. Where am I at personally with all of that context? Um, they don't have much forward depth in the organization outside of Lucas Reichel, uh, their first round pick from a couple of years back. Uh, they really don't have anybody who looks like they can be anywhere close to a top six NHL forward. That being said, they've still got Kane and Taves under contract for one more year after this. They've got Alex Debrinkit, who looks like he's going to be a 40 goal scorer again. Um, under contract for one more year to young enough that I believe you build around him, obviously with the, you know, whatever, 40 more years of Seth Jones that they signed him to that contract doesn't start until next year. So obviously he's going to be here for a while. So I think you're looking at building a franchise around Seth Jones and Alex to Now to name has come up. Brandon Hagel's name has come up, uh, but you're in a situation where no one is off the table except probably Jonathan Taves and not by choice, but because he's struggling uh, in every regard of the game after taking a year away, the numbers just really aren't there for him right now. And at 10 and a half million, there aren't teams that are going to bring in a guy for leadership uh, and what he means to the team as maybe a third line center at 10.5 million. So Taves is going to be here next year, uh, assuming he doesn't retire and Debrinkit, I would assume, will be here. Seth Jones will be here. Beyond that, it's kind of wide open. I, I think Hagel will be here because they're asking for a King's Ransom for the kid, and they should. He's on an incredibly team-friendly deal, and he's doing all the things that you would want out of a young player, uh, really establishing himself as kind of a middle-six grinder who can give you a lot of offense, good speed, great effort on every shift. So I think those four guys are here. And after that, I think the for sale signs up. If Marc-Andre Fleury will accept the trade, I think he's gone. And they should move him because I think he's the only guy in the roster that can probably get you a first-round pick in return, especially knowing that he's got a $7 million cap hit and Chicago's going to undoubtedly have to retain a decent amount on that if they're able to make a, a deal happen, whether it's Colorado or Washington or Toronto. Those are three of the names that have been most prominently linked to him. Um, you're going to have to retain some money. Or take a bad deal back, maybe both. Uh, in the case of Toronto, Mrazek's not going to get them far enough under the cap to take a full seven back. So you're probably going to have to get a couple NHL roster players out the door in Toronto, plus retention from Chicago. And that's going to get expensive because of how good Marc-Andre Fleury is. Dylan Strom, I would, I look, we've talked about him all year. He was in the doghouse with Colton and... Uh, couldn't get on the ice to start the season, gets on the ice, struggles at the dot. After the coaching change, he, he got a couple games in the catbird seat up in the press box to watch. Since he's come back, he's been over 50% at the dot, uh, which was my biggest drawback on him. You can deal with a center who's not, you know, Connor McDavid from a speed perspective, but you got to win faceoffs if you can't fly. And uh, and he started to win faceoffs, and the line with DeBrinkett and Kane has been dynamite. So, um, so it's hard to consider what he could be as a pending RFA this summer, but if someone's willing to step up and offer you something that's going to improve your likelihood of becoming 
a contending team within like a four-year window, I think you have to do it. And on the blue line, like I said, Seth Jones is here, but I think everybody else should have, you know, half of a bag packed and be ready to go. Connor Murphy probably won't get moved because he suffered that awful, ugly concussion the other night, got knocked out cold on the ice. Um, but I think everybody else is fair game. And with a league that is craving defensemen, it appears, a guy like Calvin DeHaan, Jake McCabe, Riley Stillman, you know, you, you see these reports that half of the league is looking for a left-handed shot on the blue line, and the Hawks have three or four of them that they should be very happy to move. And a guy like McCabe's got a couple years of term left. Uh, so if you're looking for a guy with term like Toronto, maybe he's the guy. If you're looking for a rental because of your cap situation, maybe it's DeHaan. But you got a lot of guys uh, on Chicago's team that could bring things back. The other thing that's interesting here is everything that I've read and heard for multiple years now is that most front offices are bigger on the 23 draft class than the 22. So you're starting to see teams already angling for picks, not in the coming draft, but the following one. Mm-hmm. And the hard, rock in the hard place for a team like Chicago is you want to get better quicker. But the problem is if you're not drafting in 22, you're not adding anything to the system. So if I'm Chicago, I'm putting a for sale sign up. I'm ready to take everything that you can get back for everyone on the roster, clear some space so that you can get some of these young kids up, see what they've got, get you know, 15, 20 games of runway so that you can adequately assess what some of these guys can do, even if they've had a little run, like an Ian Mitchell or Nicholas Baudin, you know, Isaac Phillips, Wyatt Kellick. They've had some run, but they've been saddled with, to be blunt, veterans who don't necessarily fit. So I'd build a blue line around the young guys that you have for the rest of the year, sell everything else, give them some runs so that you can really adequately assess what you do have in-house, and then move forward with the assets that you're able to bring back. And I would be targeting not only draft picks if I'm Chicago, but if I can get young prospects uh, up front that are either have a little bit of NHL experience or are on the cusp, maybe they're blocked in the organization that they're with. Um, I would do that because the other reality is you're one year from Debrinket needing a new contract. You want him to stay. So you need to have something that's going to make him want to be here. And then you got to make a decision and you can start talking about it this summer when the league year turns over with Kane and Taves about what their futures are. And if Patrick Kane is going to be part of that future, um, then obviously you're not going to have a guy re-sign at, with the caliber of player that he is if you're going to be three to four years from, from getting there. So I think you're looking at, like, in baseball, you've seen deals where the Chicago Cubs traded a bunch of their core guys last year and they brought prospect back, some closer than others. Um, you've seen teams that are just looking to add guys that are on the cusp so that they can accelerate the rebuild and not just go full bore. So what'll be interesting right now is what we don't know because he hasn't pulled the trigger on anything significant yet is what is Davidson looking for? Does he really want to burn this thing to the ground and redraft the entire organization in the way that he wants it to be? If that's the case, you're selling for draft picks and you're going to be a, you know, a mid range, maybe floor team next year. If you're wanting to keep Kane and Taves engaged, if you want to throw the bag at, Alex Dabrinkit and compete within that next three to four year window, then you're going to be looking for prospects and young players to come back. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do. But if I were the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, I would remind myself that this is a business 
which I hate hearing because it, as a fan, it kind of feels disingenuous that it's a business and everyone's untouchable. If Gretzky can get traded, all the other BS cliches that you can throw around. But I would detach the heartstrings and say, you know what? If I can get five players that will make us a competitive team in the Central Division next year for Patrick Kane, maybe we have that conversation. We talked about it a lot last week. Um, but I think anyone who someone will make you an offer for that makes this team more competitive in any regard, in the short, medium, and long term, I think you have to be willing to pull the trigger on it, and no one should be safe. Yeah, no, I kind of agree with you as far as the latter in terms of the prospects, in terms of being competitive, um, because, you know, if you look at the Western Conference right now, outside of Colorado, and obviously Calgary has uh, just been an amazing turnaround with Sutter behind the bench, the rest of the conference is not really, you know, not a bunch of studs right now. They're all in the process of kind of, you know, uh, working through injuries and, and their own issues in terms of their, their needs. So, I mean, Chicago, you know, had a little bit of a fun run there last uh, year, and um, I, I, I would like to see them stay competitive because I, it's not like um, they have to go into a full three- to four- or five-year rebuild here because I don't think the conference is really that strong, and particularly in their division. Yeah, you got St. Louis and Minnesota up top, and Nashville's kind of been – a weird kind of team to watch here the last two seasons. Um, but Dallas and Winnipeg and, and Arizona, I mean, you know, they're in there. I mean, and then when you're only looking to get a, a wild card spot here in the league and you look on the other side over there, I mean, the, nobody thought the Kings would be where they were right now, but they're on the tail end of their top guys uh, as far as the age with Kopitar and Quick and, and guys like that in terms of getting older. And Edmonton still can't figure themselves out there. You can see the struggles Vegas having with lots of key guys out of their lineup. Um, and that's going to take a little while for them to kind of bounce back a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, regrouping there. Vancouver's turning around. Anaheim, San Jose. So I think there's a huge window here that Chicago doesn't necessarily have to pull the parachute and bail out of this whole thing and kind of maybe kind of stick close in terms of what you were saying with prospects and everything. My other question to you is, uh, Tab, is is to brink it. Um... You know, Tay stays another year in his deal, you said, and then another year before Debrinke gets the the big thing. As far as him and, say, Seth Jones, and let's look beyond Jonathan Tay's right now, whether he stays with the team, I don't know, beyond his, his year left or whatever, um, but as far as leadership on this team and captaincy on this team, whether Kane stays or not, uh, is Debrinke the guy? I saw him kind of giving it the, the business to Kane the other day, you know, uh, in the game, and um, he seems to have a little bit of that that fire, and, and like I said, he's 24 years old. He's playing pretty damn good this year, and he's a obviously a top star on the team. But if you would have tossed it up between a guy like Seth Jones, his caliber, his talent, but in terms of uh, either of those two guys as far as future captaincy here for uh, the Hawks, again, albeit if Debrinket stays with this team, which I, I would really hate to see him leave this squad because I think he's the future of the Blackhawks along with Seth Jones. What's your take there in terms of leadership going forward for the Hawks? Well, that I mean, that's crazy to think about because right now you've got Connor Murphy, Alex DeBrinket, and Patrick King wearing the A. And obviously Jonathan Taves, uh, who is the longest uh, captain holder, captaincy holder in the history of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I think if you get a long-term deal done with DeBrinket, and I'm looking at like, you know, the eight years that Tomas Hurdle just got from San Jose – if you lock him up for eight years, 
um, I think the Brinkett becomes po- a possibility for the next captaincy. A lot of people thought maybe Kirby Doc would be that guy. He's had his struggles, and they're looking at him. Right now he's playing primarily on the wing with Hagel and Taves, and that line's been pretty good. Um, but it is hard to imagine who comes next in Chicago because Taves has worn the C for about 15 years. Um, and so it, it's crazy to think about who that next captain could be and what the roster is going to look like when, whenever it is that he decides that he's no longer in the picture for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, so it, that'll be very interesting. You know, I, I don't know that Chicago would want to go to a short term guy. Um, you know, they've, they've had lots of short term captains in their history. Uh, you know, Dirk Graham wore the C incredibly well before they gave it to Chelios. And then he had a hodgepodge before Taves got it. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, I think, look, Alex Debrinkit has been a terrific teammate. Um, I think that he's learned a lot from Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves from being with them as much as he has and just soaking up what he can from them, which is great. Um, But again, I think the big question is for a guy like him who is going to be a $10 million a year player, where do you want to be? And what truly matters to you? Um, Because, look, it's a different deal than, you know, again, going to baseball. You know, you look at Chris Bryant, rookie of the year, MVP for the Cubs, makes the you know, play that leads to the final out of the 2016 World Series. Everybody thought he was a lifer in Chicago. Gets traded to the Giants, and then he signs a huge deal with a Colorado Rockies team that's trash, frankly. <laughs> to play left field instead of third base, apparently. So it is there, 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 there are guys who are just chasing the bag, and they're not concerned about winning. And I get the sense that DeBrinkett want, desperately wants to win. And that's why I'm very interested to see what Davidson has to say. Um, And Derek King has said that he has not heard from Kyle Davidson whether or not there are individuals in his lineup that he needs to keep on the bench this weekend. The Hawks are supposed to play Saturday and Sunday. Um, If there's anybody that he needs to sit for asset protection. You see, like, Nick Letty is not playing. Claude Giroux is not going anywhere with the Flyers after the incredible showing in Pittsburgh or Philly last night. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think if, if you're Kyle Davidson, you need to do everything that you possibly can to make this a retool versus a rebuild. And you should be looking at how can the assets that you have in the draft build you for the future, but not necessarily are they, selections that you personally make or are these picks that you have that could be used in a trade to either help you climb the draft board or move money off the books? Um, you know, does right now the Blackhawks have, do not have their first round pick unless they're in the top two in the lottery because of the Seth Jones trade, but they've got three in the second round with one having an asterisk on it because Edmonton's third could become a second if they get to the Stanley Cup final and Duncan Keith plays, I think, at 70% uh, of the games and he's a top-four defenseman. There's a bunch of criteria in there around Duncan Keith's performance, but the way they're playing, I'm not sure Edmonton's going to be a Stanley Cup finalist. So 
They're not. Hawks will have, I'll tell you right now, they're not going to yeah. be a Stanley Cup finalist. <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're three defensemen, a goaltender, and probably a head coach from that happening. And you can't trade for a coach, and they can't afford the rest of the pieces, <laughs> so too bad. So let's just go with the assumption that that's going to be a third. So you've got three picks in the third round. Do you settle one of those threes to a guy like Dominic Kubalik or Dylan Strom to get yourself something in the in the first? Uh, do you flip one of those assets to go get a player that you think make a hockey trick? You know, I think that there's we've talked about the Islanders a lot this year and how they go to back to back Eastern Conference Finals and then the wheels fall off this year. And what do they do? Do they move some of the veterans that are in a walk year like a clutterbuck? Or yes. do they make hockey trades that are going to help them get back there and just chalk this year up as we had a ton of extenuating circumstances and the wheels never got off the ground after being on the road for 13 games to start the season. We still believe in this group, so let's go. Yeah, the latter. I think you're right on there. That's what they should be yeah. doing. Yeah, so if they're so you know, if you're the Blackhawks, I think that there's an opportunity here for you to make some trades that are as much future builders as they are hockey trades. And if you can do that, you know, we, 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 spent mo- we spent an hour talking about Patrick Kane and the New York Rangers last week, but they've already got one Strom. If the brother could help them in a third-line center capacity and Heedle's a guy that they want to move on from, and if they feel like it would be worth them moving multiple younger forwards for a Dylan Strom and a Kubalik or something of that nature – then I think you're in an opportunity here where you can make some hockey trades instead of just selling out and collecting assets for the future. So it's a spider web. There's so many ways that you can go with this. But again, new GM, young GM, first trade deadline. And realistically right now, I think he has a lot of the purse strings in the National Hockey League watching what he does and what he's asking because you've got some guys that have contracts that are either expiring or team relatively team friendly that could be game changers for teams in the playoff hunt so like i said a mccabe or a dehan would make probably as much or more sense than flurry in toronto what are they willing to give up to do that uh, i don't think marner is going to be part of that package but a guy can drink um <laughs> but uh but there, there's a lot there's a lot going on there's a lot of ways that you can go and at the end of the day, we've got less than three days now until we figure out what Kyle Davidson's vision for the short, medium, and long term is for the Chicago Blackhawks. All right, so moving on from the Blackhawks here, and, and we, like you, we just have to wait and see here what happens. A couple of teams have made a couple of small moves here, but they might be, you know, I like it when teams make trades to kind of fit pieces of the puzzle uh, into, um, you know, the full you know, system that they have running right now. I think, um, you know, what they're doing in Calgary right now, they're, they're doing that. A team that's, um, you know, just found its way under Sutter. Um, again, taking advantage of a weak Western Conference this year, let alone, like I said, the Avs. I mean, and, until the Avs, to me, are in the same boat as the Leafs. Until they win and get to the conference finals, I mean, they're still, as far as I'm concerned, on the. I know in the regular season, talent-wise, they're on the same level, but we all know... You know, when, when things turn into the playoffs here, everybody's on the same level, man. And anybody can beat anybody. So they've got a lot to prove. But when you see a team like uh, the Flames and the other team I want to focus on here, the Florida Panthers, also kind of making moves just to kind of strengthen what they already have. 
um, strong from the net out defensively and then getting key guys to kind of help out up front as far as guys that they need to kind of grind, the guys that you need uh, in the playoffs, um, getting productive shifts from everybody and then letting your stars kind of shine. So we'll see what happens there uh, once the puck drops. But I want to get your take on those couple of moves here that the Flames and, and the Panthers have made. And and if there's anybody else, I mean, you know, you look at Colorado just kind of riding along here. I mean, Carolina is really strong. Tampa Bay still kind of strong. I don't think. I think we touched on it last week. I don't think the, the Maple Leafs can really do anything. And I think the rest of the way it goes, outside of maybe the Rangers here, you know, they got to find a way. I, I think that loss the Rangers, the loss to the Islanders last night was a great loss. Me as a Ranger fan is a great loss because you some now is the time with about 20 games left in the season, right? and obviously a weekend left before the trading deadline, you still need to find out what your weaknesses are. And the Rangers are very good defensively and solidly in the nets, but they still they still need this. That's why, you know, we talked about it in length last week about getting a score, and I don't want to kind of divvy on that. But I think, you know, Chris Drury is going to be one guy to look at here this weekend to see if he can find that puzzle like they're doing in Calgary, like they're doing in Florida. So with those two teams and that kind of just in general, that thought – tab and maybe there's another team that I'm not bringing up here that you might want to look at but to me uh, the summary I'm trying to get at right now is the teams that make the right trades for their team to build that model to get them for the long haul the long run to ultimately get to the finals yeah I mean look I I I think first of all I think I love the Toronto deal for the Rangers you know he He's a guy that I think in that middle six realm could very easily be a guy who gives them a little bit more scoring oomph. Um, and giving up nothing but a four for him, I think, is great value for the Rangers. With that being said, I, if they could bring in a guy like a Kubalik that scored 30 in the past and add two yeah. forwards to the middle, I think that bolsters them a lot. And I think the Vitrano trade means they're probably not going to be looking at swinging big, meaning Patrick Kane level swing um, at this point. That being said, if Vitrano's a guy that interests Chicago, perhaps. I was going to say you know, he might be part of another trade. He could be. Yeah. He could be. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we've talked about the Rangers a lot. I think you're right. They're elite defensively. They need to add some scoring. And I, I, I think while a guy the caliber of Patrick Kane certainly changes that, um, depth wins. And if you can have Vitrano and Kubalik and have those two guys on a third line, that that that's a different proposition with a, a top six that's adequate, I think. Yes. I mean, okay. you are where you are because your top six is carrying the mail. Yeah, Cried's playing you, great, but they swing around. He's banjo. Yeah, I mean, you've already Special got a 40-goal yeah. score, you know. Yeah. Uh, so... It, when you look at what they've got on their top six, I, I think it, it, you're looking for guys that can help that third line. And that's why Kubelik in a walk year, I think, is an interesting proposition for them. Because, again, if you've got let, – let's just throw it out there. A Kubelik, Hedo, Vetrano line, I think that's interesting, right? I think it's got a little more offensive upside than what they started the season with or what they had a month ago. So, Absolutely. So that's interesting to me. Um Calgary, uh, I think, realizes that they're going to run away with that division, and they're now looking at who who in these who in the Western Conference do we need to care about, right? And the answer is Colorado. 
St. Louis has more issues than Sports Illustrated right now. I don't think I, I think the LA Kings, it's interesting that the Kings are playing as well as they are with getting absolutely nothing from Kopitar. I mean, his line is ice cold. So I think right now they're the the flames and abs are sitting back and they're looking at each other, saying, What do we need to do to beat that team? And what potential hiccups are there between here and there? And I think for Colorado, you look at what Minnesota is able to do when they're healthy, if they can ever get back there. When you look at what a Nashville can do, when you look at what Dallas can do, um, you know, I, I think Colorado is probably the most confident, but I think that they would be feel a lot better about their blue line if Bowen Byram wasn't still working his way through some concussion stuff and he was there. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm Colorado, I'm looking, okay, is there – is there a defensively responsible forward that we can get for cheap that can help us kill penalties and eat, eat a few minutes and block a few shots on our fourth line? Um, bluntly, I think Ryan Carpenter, again, Blackhawks, but I think Ryan Carpenter would be a great fit for Colorado at a million dollars in the final year of his deal. Wins 50% of his faceoffs when you let him be a center. He can kill penalties. I think he'd be a really nice ad for them because he's got a little grit. He's a guy that could do some things for you in a fourth line role. That would be a nice fit there. I think Calgary, they already added to Foley a month ago. So I think what Calgary wants to do with a very slim margin for cap space here will be very interesting because they're looking at about a half million in cap space on Monday to work with total. So it's going to be hard for Calgary. I think at this point, the abs are about 2.8 in cap space that they can work with on Monday. So those are the two teams in the West that I think legitimately have a shot at getting out as it stands today. Sounds like Nashville is going to go all the way to the wire with Philip Forsberg trying to figure out, do we re-sign him or do we trade him? Dallas with Philip or um, John Klingberg, rather, you know, he's a guy that looks like he's gone, but they're in a position that they could either push for it and go or, you know, start selling. And it'll be very interesting to see if Klingberg's a guy that moves in a walk year with what he could potentially be um, as either a rental or more of a permanent ad type piece for a team that needs to bolster their blue line in a big way. Um, And then, again, the middle of the Western Conference, this is where hockey trades come in and you start talking about, you know, what can teams do to bring back assets to help a team maybe just get in the playoffs because they haven't done it in a while or they feel like they're this close. I look at Minnesota and I'm like, they're maybe a couple pieces away from having the capability of making life interesting for the avalanche. But how far do they push? They've got some cap space to work with. So how hard does a team like Minnesota push? Washington, the same thing. Now they're over the cap. They're playing with LTIR space right now. But, you know, how desperate does Washington get to go get a Marc-Andre Fleury because I think goaltending is probably their number one sore spot or do they look at a second tier guy and what are they willing to give up for a second tier guy so um, and you know Dallas with the Kudobin stuff that's a tough blow uh, Holpe's going to be back but does Dallas look at adding a, a you know some cheap rental goaltender to help them on the back end I don't know so and then you got Edmonton being Edmonton. They're already working the LTIR space. They're already over it, um, and it's you know they're they're they'll, they'll, they'll there's a chance that they get in, and just because that division sucks. But 
you know, I, you, and then you look at the long-term ramifications of things. And bluntly, if I'm the Vegas Golden Knights, I might be selling. Yeah. At the deadline. Because it ain't happening this year. And, I mean, they're projected right now to be using $10 million in LTIR. Right? Mm-hmm. So if they can alleviate some of that, and then they got to figure out how the hell they're fitting Eichel next year. Yep. With Stone. So, yeah. th- so I, you know, you look at Vegas, and that might be a team that if you're looking to accelerate a rebuild or poach some guys that can help you now or over the next couple of years, Vegas might be a team that has a for sale sign up. So, and that's got to be uh, crushing for a guy like DeBoer. Because he's, you oh, know, yeah. he's he's come in basically where he's gone, whether it's New Jersey, getting to the finals, getting to San Jose in the finals. You know, he had, you know, last year getting close again. And then, you know, for him to be a part, he's, it's, it's been a long time since DeBoer's been a part of something where he has to kind of crash and then build everything back up. I, I wonder if even DeBoer stays there, you know, if that's the route that Vegas has to go. And you bring up a great point, man. They are in a really, really tough spot because as far as I'm concerned, you know, you can might as well toss up this year because I don't think that's happening. No, it's not. And the reality is they bet on Robin Leonard instead of Mark Andre Fleury, and it didn't work. They're sitting they're, They've got no first-round pick in 22. They've got a second. They've got the Rangers third, and they got nothing in the fourth. So they got two picks in the first four rounds of this draft. And it's interesting because, you, you know, this is a whole other episode of the podcast, but <laughs> you look at where Vegas is at. Over the cap, top heavy like crazy. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking at, at cap friendly right now, and with Leonard and McNabb and Stone and Martinez and everything else, right now, <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights with a with 15 NHL roster players are projected to have an 83 million dollar cap hit next year. The cap's going to be eighty-one-five, so they've got to make a million-five disappear to have fifteen players on the roster, and then they got to figure out how the hell they're going to have a full roster. I don't know. The flip side, the job. flip side of that coin is Seattle, who have like every third draft pick for the next two years <laughs> under their control. I mean, we laugh a little bit, but I just pulled up. Uh, I just pulled up the Kraken's draft sheet. And in 2022, they got one in the first, two in the second, one in the third, two in the fourth. 23, one in the first, two in the second, two in the third, two in the fourth. So they've got 13 picks in the first four rounds of the next two drafts. Who's GM over there again? It's Francis, isn't it? Yeah, I I think somebody who knows what the hell he's doing. Exactly. (laughs) So, and and look at what he did in Carolina. Absolutely. So. I mean, this is a guy, and I think we talked about this at the beginning of the year. When he went out and got the guys that he did, we thought, okay, they'll go get a Calvin DeHaan. Pressure's on. They're going to want to compete. They're going to want to, you know, you look at what Vegas did and the expectations are through the roof for an expansion team. And I think he was conservative to a fault and said, look, you know, McCann's going to be a guy, and obviously he got the $5 million a year extension already. But then when you look at the other guys that he brought in, they're all guys – who could have really nice trade value when they when the time comes. Giordano. If they eat money on Giordano, he's in a walk year. I think, you know, at six seven five, he's expensive, but he's Mark Giordano. Yeah, I, I think he ends up somewhere. Mark freaking Giordano. So, this is, yeah. So the question then becomes, like, 
if you're if you're shopping for a defenseman still, Toronto, <laughs> do, do Edmonton is Giordano the guy that you go for, and how much can how much do you need the team to retain for that to happen, or do you back it off and look in that three to four million dollar range where you'd have a Calvin DeHaan, Jake McCabe, guys like that? But half of the roster in Seattle's a free agent this summer, so you know. Riley Sheehan, nice player, UFA in three months. Marcus Johansson, nice player, $1.5 million cap hit. Nice bottom six piece, UFA this summer. Um, you know, Hayden Fleury, nice defenseman, $1.3 million, RFA this summer. Um, so, you know, Vince Dunn's got two years left. He's an interesting player. So when you look around at, at what the two ex- most recent expansion teams have done, you just kind of have to sit back and say, you know what? What they were able to do for Yarn Croak was brilliant. So how do they replicate that? Because I do think that there's a there there for if they want to start replicating that type of a deal and start sucking up more draft picks and really go big. Because I think they drafted really well last year. Maddie Beneers is going to be a superstar. Watching him play at Michigan, he just he's got that Jonathan Taves feel. He's not going to be a 100-point guy but he's going to be a really damn good center that's going to make a lot of people around him look really good. Um, but Seattle's sucking up draft picks and getting what they can for the future, and they bought a bunch of rentals in the expansion draft. And it looks like they're going to start building the first, what I would put air quotes around, the first generation of Seattle Kraken around a Jared McCann, right? Yeah, and Matty Beneers. Um and then you've got Vegas that went all in right away, and now they're uh, they're in the worst cap situation in the league, and it's not working. And you wonder, Tab, if if you know if you flash back to Vegas, different city, different cell as far as the the city and everything else, and making it work and making it successful. And, and obviously, we know they had that instant impact and in getting to the finals there, draw Gallant and everything else. Um, you know, just listen to you talk about the crack in here and. and and why not? I think, you know, Francis uh, in there and you start seeing it's almost like, you know, that expansion draft, they used it as a as a as a bonus as uh, all right, let's just take in as much as we can we can right now. And, and the you know, when you bring up all these guys that now they can kind of move, you know, they are an expansion team. So why not take these couple of years to rebuild? I mean, they are rebuilding from the ground up. But, man, they've got a head start. And when you got a guy in the seat who's been there, done the dance, knows how to build up prospects and and uh, and pieces of the puzzle, man, it's really kind of shaping out. And, and, you know, especially listening to you today, like I'm going to be really watching them over this weekend and then next season. And, and when if the Kraken start really becoming a really damn good team here in the next two to three years, we're going to flash back to probably this this season here in terms of what Francis did with these trades at this trade deadline and how they move forward and seeing what they signed because it's it's pretty damn smart kind of uh, hockey business to see what he's actually starting to do now. When you look back at the big picture and you look down on it and see these moves and what he's getting back for it and, 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 and what he's going to do here in, in the uh, last weekend here before Monday. Yeah, well, you're right. Look at the GMs. Who is the, who is the architect of the Golden Knights? GM, GM. George McPhee. Mm -hmm. Where did he come from? Washington. Yeah. Right? And what did he do in Washington? He scored Backstrom and Ovechkin and filled it out from there. Right? He knows the value of star power. Mm -hmm. 
And he was in a market that had elite players and he built around elite players. So he went out and found himself elite players that he could sell tickets with. Francis comes from Carolina where selling tickets is uh, if you're winning proposition. Um, I'm not going to use the, the word money ball immediately, but it's really more of a global approach of, you know, we don't need to have two $10 million guys, but what, what can we get with five $5 million guys Yeah, or six $4.5 million guys? And evaluating talent, developing talent, nurturing guys into their full potential or finding guys that have a ton of potential who don't have a good fit where they are, like a Teravinen, which is ironic that they lost uh, your guy Foxy up there with the Rangers for practically nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but they, what they did in Carolina and what we're seeing, the, the roster that they built now has really been, we're not going to pay someone $10 million. We're going to have the right pieces mm -hmm. And it's a complete contrast to what Bowman did this year in Chicago. You know what your jigsaw puzzle is, and you find the pieces that fit, right? They didn't throw the bag at Dougie Hamilton. They could have. They didn't, right? They're not a team that's going to go have, like, multiple $10 million guys. Um, but they, they did a great job evaluating talent. And it looks like what Seattle's done is they've put together a roster of guys that they can now use – and leverage to evaluate talent the way that he did in Carolina to go poach guys like a Tara Vinan that doesn't have the best role. And you look around the league, and as a guy like Jake DeBrusque, a guy that they feel like is getting underutilized in Boston, who has a much higher ceiling, and how do they make something like that happen, where Boston could be looking for help on the blue line? I'm not saying that DeBrusque for Giordano would happen in a million years, but you know, what does a guy like Vince Dunn make sense? in Boston, mm -hmm. right? So when you when you consider what they've got with all these guys that are in walk years, they've got the rental market cornered. It's like they've got a timeshare going on in Seattle. Like, <laughs> pick the weekend. Here we go. But they've got a, a ton of guys that could leave, and they brought up, you know, Ryan Carpenter. I think Marcus Johansson would also be a guy that would be interesting in Colorado. You know, cheap, 31 years old, UFA, Teams that are looking to get out from under some money um, don't have a lot of wiggle room. So, you know, how do they make that all work? And I'll be very interested to see who they sell. I think McCann's the only guy who's probably untouchable, though. I think Eberly at five and a half. You know, Jaden Schwartz is interesting. He's got four more at five and a half um, at 29 years old. I don't know how many people are going to bite on that. Yanni Gord's got three more north of five at 30 years old. But we know what he did with Tampa. Um, but I, you look at the two differences in the way that the front offices were constructed and the way that they're approaching things, and it couldn't be more different between Vegas and Seattle. And I think that they're two teams that will be very, very interesting because I think Seattle could be in a position with all the picks that they have and the guys that they could rent, kind of like maybe the Blackhawks and making hockey trades that help you in the next two to four years versus just sucking up draft picks. And they could use some of those draft picks and the cheap rentals they have to go get guys with term. And that's, that, I think, is exciting for Seattle, whereas the other side of the spectrum is Vegas doesn't have a lot of picks, and they've got way too much money on the books for next year already, and they need to sell. And I don't think in Vegas, rebuild is an idea, whatever they are, five years into their existence, that is going to sell very easily. And so it's a really, it's a really hard place to be in if you're 
the front office in Vegas right now because you don't want to burn it down and suck, and you can't because you've got so much money committed for so many years. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out who you can afford to move because I would assume Eichel and Pacioretty aren't going anywhere. But who can you afford to move? Who do you need to figure out how to afford to move and replace so that you get under the cap next year and you don't completely fall off and have to start over from scratch and have poor Jack Eichel babysitting another dumpster fire? Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so? I mean, you talk about a couple of kindred souls. DeBoer and Eichel probably just need to go yeah. grab a bottle of Blue Label and burn one. <laughs> Try oh. another sport. Woohoo! Yeah. Oh, man. kids. Rebuilding, blowing it up, and going for it. That's the trade deadline's all about here, and it's coming up here on Monday, so the weekend should be interesting, and we'll see what happens on the other side, and we'll be back here to talk about it with Tab next week. Tab, great stuff as always. Appreciate your time. Have a super weekend, and uh, until then, man, hopefully uh, we'll see a, a different side of the Blackhawks, no doubt, and obviously a bunch of teams next week. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll be debriefing the deadline instead of hypothetically throwing names around. I can't wait. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. Ted Bamford, ladies and gentlemen, right here on THS. And THS rolls on. Well, all right, all right. It's time to head down to the Gulf Coast, the best coast, Southern Coast. Well, the men's away off, but we know Stevie Palumbo's down there hanging out. Welcome back to THS, brother. Let's talk some puck. What's going on down south, brother? Ah, uh, man, not, not a whole lot, man. Excited for this uh, trade deadline. Sounds like it's going to be a busy one. It's It's been fun uh, the last couple of days, and it seems like it's just starting to heat up. Yeah, you know, and then there's also the uh, the other side of that, right? It could be a big letdown. But, uh, I mean, what's your feeling? <laughs> you, you think, I mean, we'll get into some of the moves here by a couple of teams, obviously, and, and actually talk about the kind of trades that are being made. But, um... I mean, do you, you think this is, um, I mean, it looks, it hasn't come up the Y yet, but you know Giroux's going somewhere, but do you think there's yeah. going to be more moves here? Uh, you think there's going to be some big ones? you think we should get excited, or should we stay timid here? You know what, man? I, I think there's going to be a, at least one or two very big ones, but I think a lot of the moves, especially considering what we've seen so far, are basically going to be GMs are learning from past mistakes, and they're, and they're trying to fill in pieces to build that championship team, and and not go crazy dismantling and, and moving a bunch of pieces around. But I, I think we're going to see a lot of activity. It may not be, you know, the flashy stuff, but the, I think we're going to see a lot of players change in personnel that are going to make their prospective teams much better. Yeah. Um, you know, so let's, you know, this is, this is kind of where I want to go today. I was going with earlier with tab two, and it's, it's the kind of trades the teams kind of have to make. I mean, there's the, yeah. you know, there's the teams that are going to have to blow things up here a little bit and, you know, either just trying to just try and move things to, to kind of give up on the season and possibly next year and, and try and get as much as they can back as far as prospects and draft choices. There's the teams that maybe are maybe one or two pieces away, um, you know, for, for building something for a long run, you know, uh, in the playoffs. And then there's there's the teams that want to make a big splash or have have the assets to maybe just get a big-time player and make yeah. a big bang here, which may not necessarily help them win the Stanley Cup this year, but might be a huge guy uh, that could help them, uh, you know, uh, in a year or two. What's your take on maybe right. one or two of those teams that might be going on that angle? Well, I think uh, you look at a team like uh, the Rangers. They're a team that that you know they want they want to add play you know players for the their playoff run, but 
somebody who can help them long run long term i think because they are still such a young team and and when you hear about you know them moving some of these young players out um to maybe get a player in that that can help them now and help them in the future i think the rangers are an interesting team uh i think you got to look at a a team gosh it sounds so weird but a team like tampa bay because um they just want to continue going at the at the pace they're on this team does not seem like it's ready to relinquish the crown um as a champion and and they want to continue to add pieces to 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 build that cup caliber team while while you know they still have that core intact um i also you know i mentioned this before boston another team that um is getting older but but still thinks they have a chance to be competitive and and they may look to to bring in i know that they were in on Giroux, uh along with the rangers i believe were inquiring about Giroux. um but another another team that that wants to bring some play pieces in to, to kind of keep their window open as long as possible. Yeah, and it's just the kind of the, the waiting game. I mean, the, the Rangers are a, a very interesting, you know, situation. I You know, you look at the loss last night to the Islanders, 2-1, tight game, great stuff for the rivalry and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I think it also kind of proves, I mean, granted. Uh, the goaltending was phenomenal in that game. Yeah, I mean, which is exciting for, for local hockey here. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, that's, that's Sorokin's one save, and maybe that's a, a huge change in that game last night. But I think yeah. as a Ranger fan, for me personally, I think that's a good loss last night because I think it still kind of shows where the Rangers need – uh, an extra score up front, you know. Um, so we'll yeah. see what happens. But I want to, so, and I want to allude this uh, from what me and Tab were talking about in terms of the, some of the trades that have been made so far, and yeah. with regards to where you know we we touched on last week where the Eastern Conference is pretty much set, and the Western Conference is you know as far as the bottom you know part of the wild card race is still wide open. You take a look mm-hmm. at um, let's take a look at Florida here. I know you mentioned Tampa Bay. I mean, there's such a stock team. I. I you yeah. can run with them. I mean, how, how do they move that? I mean, just as far as contracts and what do they actually need and, and everything well, else. Well, they that's just a, picked up. Didn't they just acquire Hagel from from Chicago? I mean, that's a huge trade for them. That just shows that they're they're still in it to win it. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. And, and, and the, but and the, it's like it's small levers there. You know, it's obviously yeah. a huge thing for them. But so, but to me, I look at Tampa like, well, if they make a trade, great. If they don't make a trade, it's, it's really not such a big deal. They were still going to be right. just this huge beast. But if yeah. you look at Florida, what they're doing here in the last week or two, and then you look at Calgary, team we both love so well, um, yeah. really kind of it seems like they're modifying themselves to play against the teams that they're ultimately going to probably play in the playoffs. So I want to take a look yeah. at, the, uh, at that with you and see uh, what your take is on, on their recent moves. Yeah, I mean, you you think about the way that teams, you know, every it's a copycat league. Everyone's kind of, you know, looking around. The GMs are looking around what what has worked, what hasn't worked, and you see the kind of moves that uh, Tampa made, Tampa Bay made over the last couple of years. You know, bringing a guy like Goudreau and Coleman, and these like really gritty role players who are basically built for the playoffs. And I think that's what you're seeing. We know that these teams can score. Uh, goals. We know that they can they can zip around the ice, but when it comes to playing a seven game series where you're seeing the same opponent night after night and you're in the trenches and you're battling, do you have the wherewithal and the strength and the grit to be able to withstand those series? And I think that's that's the type of moves that we're seeing right now. They're just kind of beefing themselves up to to be able to get the 16 wins in spring. You know, because you know once the playoffs come, the ice gets smaller. There's less space. It gets more physical. It's tighter checking. 
and you want to be able to counterpunch the, the your opponents because you know some teams out there are, are built like that, and, and those teams that uh, they're built for the regular season, there's teams that are built for playoffs, and I think those regular season teams are are, are you know not not reconstructing themselves but modifying themselves to be better suited to play playoff hockey, and and I think that's that's kind of what these moves are are, are indicating. Yeah, and I mean, you bring up Hagel there too. Obviously, just going down here in the last half hour. Um, I mean, that's just again Tampa Bay Lightning, one of those teams like you know, like, like I think like Colorado is and like Florida is. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to just add a, another piece of the puzzle that yep. can, can can get them through. You know who they're looking at playing. You know because even Tab brought up a good point. I mean, Calgary doesn't really have to worry about the division anymore. They really have yeah. to worry about playing the Colorado Avalanche. You know, yes. with Vegas kind of tailing off and in, in, in the shape that they're in, and then um, you know the, where the rest of the teams are in the conference. St. Louis obviously is going to be there, but they're pretty much kind of solid, and they just have to, you know, it's it's amazing, right? We've been talking about this so much, but to be talking about the Calgary Flames now making yeah. moves to try and knock off the Colorado Avalanche, mm-hmm. yeah. and with the Avs there, Steve, do you think they do anything here? That with the Avs, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, they just got Josh Manson, huge. I oh, mean, I didn't you, see that. Already, I apologize. Yeah, they got them him a couple days ago from the Ducks, and he immediately made an impact um, in that game against the Kings. So, you know, ten hits, ten plus hits. He was all over the place, throwing his body and just giving him a big uh, physical presence. And then they go and they acquire Nico Sturm from Minnesota, who not only can he throw the body around and and provide depth in the bottom six, but he's also great on face-offs. We talked about how poor that the Avalanche were in face-offs. And, he, you know, Tyson Jost goes the other way, who was a favorite in Colorado, but you know, he's, his face-off percentage, 39%. You've got a guy in Sturm who can who can play a tough physical game, uh, and then his face-off percentage is, in, you know, 52 uh, or above. And so you're looking at Joe Sackett going out and addressing needs that Colorado really, really, you know, wanted to do. We know that they can score. We know they can run around. We know they can zip the puck around. But can they bang bodies? And you bring in Josh Manson, who's a big physical uh, uh, defender from from Anaheim, and, and he just automatically adds another depth. You pair him up with a guy like Sam Gerrard. You've got such balance on the blue line. You put Sturm in there, he can take big draws, and he also can, can get out there and, and give some physicality. And I think Sackett clearly went into this trade dot deadline with uh, an agenda, and, and so far he's he's been able to execute masterfully. And now we wait for uh, the Giroud. Uh, chip to fall and I know that the offer that Colorado put out for Claude Giroux is better than the one that Florida put out but there is some whispers that perhaps Giroux doesn't feel like he's going to get enough ice time playing in Colorado with the amount of talent they have up front which just sounds ridiculous to me if you it's about winning the Stanley Cup at this point you <laughs> just got honored thousand games beautiful ceremony go out there and win that cup yeah, so no, we'll I mean, that goes. yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy when you think about it. And, you know, speaking about the, the Minnesota-Colorado trade, very weird that two teams in the same, you know, division there trying to trade with each other. But, again, you know, this is the beauty about trade deadlines here and, and how GMs kind of work this. It, it, even if it's a, a rival that you may end up playing, you're competing with points or whatever, you, you still make that trade because you're not necessarily – I mean, you're helping each other out. It's a hockey trade. I mean, Yeah, it's, it's so weird, out. man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild stuff. Um, and then you look at uh, the Kraken, right? We were just talking with, with Tab before, too, and their approach, right? Francis is like, he's got all these chips and stuff. They're an expansion team, but yeah. now he, he's really he's really 
now it's almost like now their draft, their their rebuilding is starting now. The extension draft is kind of like a, a bonus. You get all these players coming in because of the sure. you know, they they get sent to you and you make a couple of deals. But now he's really turning them into to the future of where the Kraken may be here in, in a year or two. Yeah, I mean, you you pick up those pieces and then uh, you you know you've got him, you got your roster, and now this is where you really the Francis really gets gets to work where he can really start to form his team for the future. I mean. Uh, they got a huge uh, return the other day in the trade that they made, and now you got Giordano, who's probably going another way. You want to turn these these pieces into assets for now and for the long term future of, of Seattle, and and I think Francis is the right guy for that. The guy's a, a genius, um, and he, uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm really excited to see where Seattle is in a couple of years. I think he's the type of GM that can turn them around with his cunning and his the, his ability to make deals, and he can have them being competitive team the next year or two here. Yeah, no, At it's. Least- a- Reasonably competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's just another unique way of looking at what happens here over the weekend, how certain teams, how certain GMs kind of trade here. Um, you know, even Vegas is, is in a lot of trouble right now, man. Uh, yeah. It's hard to believe. What do you think uh, Vegas, what what can they do right now, Steve? You know, it's <laughs> last year is all the talk about who's going to, you know, going back and forth between Flurry and uh, uh I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, the goaltending situation there, and so they send Flurry out, and now they have nothing but issues between the pipes. And uh, you're you're looking at a situation where they they lose some key players. They can't keep anybody in the lineup. Their goaltending gets hurt. They're going through you know five six different goaltenders, and they just don't have the ability like they did in year one when they had the same situation to kind of overcome it. And now Jack Eichel takes a puck off the hand, and we don't know what his status is. And Vegas is a mess right now. I mean, that win last night was huge for them in order to keep them uh, in this race because it is so tight. I mean, you lose a game or two, and they lost five in a row. And you quickly find yourself on the outside looking in as the other teams around you keep collecting points, keep winning, going to overtime, picking up a point here. Um, it is uh, geez, it is, uh, it's a mess. And the, the thing I've noticed with them right now is that they cannot seem to hold the lead. They just they they get a few goals, they get up, and then they just kind of give it all away. It's like this team just doesn't have the same motor that it used to have, um, and it's 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 not good for Devore. I'll tell you that. No, no doubt about it. Uh, man, he's just uh, wherever he goes. I mean, it just uh, to see them possibly having to blow this thing up here. I don't know if DeBoer is the kind of guy that's going to be around for that. You know, you know his pedigree here too, coming in New Jersey, Stanley Cup Finals, San Jose, Stanley Cup Finals, thinking the same thing here at Vegas, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen not only this year, but maybe uh, the next couple of years here as well. And they're basically a wounded animal right now with Dallas and Vancouver, you know, very close to them as well. And if Winnipeg can kind of just play in somewhat decent hockey, you never know. Uh, there's enough games left to cause that kind of trouble. And, I mean, the thought of uh, maybe Vegas not even being in the dance this year is going to be pretty weird. Um, Steve, I want to ask you, is there anything that's standing out, any other team that you're kind of looking at um, waiting for something maybe big to move? I know we talk about the Rangers getting a, a score here, but um, do, do you see, I mean, does teams like Pittsburgh and Washington stand pat? Do you think the Capitals maybe try and go out and go to goaltender? I mean, what else is on your mind or somebody that you're focusing in to see whether they make a move or not? I think an interesting team to watch right now would be the Kings. Um, I know that they're they're the team that um, is they've turned around a lot quicker than a lot of people anticipated, and I could see them um, maybe trying to make a move or two here to 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 make a run in the playoffs because we know that what 
history has shown us this team gets in the playoffs and, and they can just go on runs. So I think the Kings are interesting. It'd be interesting to see what Edmonton does. Um, are they going to try and get a goaltender? Are they going to be stand pat with what they have going on right now? Um, so that's that's something. Um, Toronto. Is there anything? Is Toronto? I know he's been linked to Giordano. Are they a team that's going to go out there and and try to make a big move and, and throw all their chips in and, and finally get past the second round? Um, so that's another interesting team to watch. And of course, you know, Boston is a team that's always willing to make a move. Capitals are the same thing. Uh, they're always in there, got their you know, sniffing around, making. They moves. better so hurry really up. There's think... not many guys left, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I know, but I, I think Los Angeles is very interesting, and I think Vancouver is going to play a pivotal role in the next couple of days. I know they're still in the playoff race here, but they're like they have players linked to everybody, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what kind of moves they make and how it, it affects the the league going forward here as we go down the stretch towards the playoffs. But it should should be a pretty eventful uh, next few days, and the fact that the trade deadlines on a Monday and you have the weekend before to kind of build up is kind of exciting too. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you've got these teams that, you know, especially in the Western conference there, I mean, outside of the two monsters, Calgary and, and uh, Colorado and, you know, obviously Minnesota's is in there and St. Louis is going to cause some trouble. It's pretty wide open as far as getting in and then what kind of damage you can kind of, uh, cause yeah. in the playoffs, the Eastern Conference is just setting up to be just unbelievable. You're just going to uh, – every team that gets knocked out is a potential Stanley Cup contender, um, right. you know, one way or the other. So uh, a lot of fun to look forward to as far as what happens over the weekend on Monday. Steve, before I let you go, um, as far as the Devils are concerned, one of the cool things I've been watching, even though they're struggling this year and everything, and we've, uh, you know, kind of steered away from this year only because, you know, uh, most of the teams that aren't playing that well, we know what it is or whatever. But what, I, right. what I've been really enjoying – Enjoyed seeing amongst timelines, um, back and forth between NHL reporters and top guys in the league as they just continue to rave about Jack Hughes um, and the kind of player he is. And that makes me feel really good for this organization. And it's great to see this kid get such a nod at such a young age here, 20 years old, 47 points here in 41 games. Uh, And I think he's the big, big bright light for the New Jersey Devils with an eye on the yep. team that you figure locally is going to come back here next year. It will be interesting what they do with the trade deadline. And obviously the Rangers are pretty much stacked here going forward as well, too. But for Jersey fans, man, if they can, you know, I don't know what they can do here in the trade deadline one way or the other. Uh, but at least with Jack, man, it's it's some it's a, something you can build a franchise around, and it's really exciting to see. Yeah, you know, having followed this team for, I can say this safely now, decades, um, a guy like Jack Hughes, he's the most explosive player we've had ever. I know we've had we had a brief period with the Kovalchuk, and when McGillney was here, he was lights out. And Patrick Eliege was a good, consistent scorer. But there's never been a player that every time he's on the ice, he's affecting play. The way Jack moves around, the way he sees the ice at such a young age, the way he makes guys around him better, um, and you know his he's he just can he gets better game after game after game and the things that he does it's just remarkable to be able to see at, at just 20 years old what what he's able to do and i'm really excited that he signed long term in new jersey and i i do think that the devils really want to build around him and you know, they really want to get him because as much as he's been putting the puck in the net he really is a facilitator he's one of those guys who has great vision and he can he can put the puck pretty much anywhere he wants to so i think they want to really build around him and give him some wingers that can that you know, can actually finish the, the plays. Uh, Sharon Govich has been a nice story, but he's a little more too inconsistent. You really need somebody with Jack Hughes that uh, will 
knows Jack, and I think that's why the Devils have really been looking at Cole Caulfield as somebody that'd be interested to play with Jack. But it's been really exciting, and I I, I love being able to tune in and watch this kid play. He's just phenomenal, and and I'm really excited to see how the next few years shape out. This kid is he's electric, and I'm glad the league is taking notice. That's great stuff, man. All right, Steve, we're going to leave it there. Um, it will be interesting. Maybe the Devils get him some help this weekend. But yep. uh, it'll be fun to see. Steve, as always, great stuff. Great having you back. We'll do more of this a little longer here next week. And uh, we'll talk about everything that, that's going to happen over this weekend and maybe what doesn't happen. But uh, have a great weekend, brother, and thanks so much for the hit today on THS. You too, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Steve Palombo right here on THS and THS. Rozo! <laughs>